Today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we are going to finish part two of your week in IndyCar listener Q&A items, and it's a mighty fine blend of queries, opinions, hilarity, you name it. Before we get into that, we're going to say thank you, as always, to you for the awesome stuff that you send in here each week. Also want to say thank you for all the well wishes and whatnot for my little self. Uh, it's been a uh, it's been an interesting week or two, and health-wise, I am in much better, much, much better uh, state of happiness and quality. Still have another, I don't know, week to 10 days of nuclear-grade antibiotic digestion to do. And also keeping things pretty mellow, uh, good naps as often as possible and not working too much, all because my vo- body, I was about to say body for reasons I can't tell you, all because my body is still fighting a really not pleasant infection that cropped up out of nowhere. So yeah, trying to keep the battery charged, sitting here on a Saturday morning, 11.05 a.m., uh, across the street, we live across the street from a hospital. Uh, apparently, they have, I guess, let their parking lot, some of their parking lot, be turned into a little concert-type gathering or something, which is weird. So, you know, uh, there's a pandemic and uh, social distancing and not getting people sick, so maybe allowing the parking lot of a hospital to be used for a thing where people gather, uh, hey, you know, in 2020, man, I don't even know what to say. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. I'm uh, going to say, of course, huge thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers for supporting this little show of ours and also our great pals at torontomotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Last note. Before we get rolling with your Q&A, hey, Alex Pillow, a good friend of the show. It's the newest Chip Ganassi racing driver. Uh, how cool is that? Huh? As you might have heard on part one this week, uh, some things being afoot for young Alex. Not a total shock or surprise, but super happy to see that they got that deal done. I also mentioned at the open of part one, wasn't totally sure how all this was going to be paid for because that is not a seat that is being offered to drivers and paying them for the privilege. It's the other way around. As said probably numerous times, been hearing for a good long while that NTT is either not coming back or... Uh, Coming back in a greatly reduced manner, no big shock or surprise there. There was no mention in the press release as to who the partners would be on Alex's car. I'm confident that there is a commitment there to make the finances work, and that was the last thing to get done. Share just a couple quick things about this as well. Uh, as I wrote in, I think, an interview with Mike Hall that went up on Friday, Chip Ganassi Racing's managing director, uh, there are three drivers that I know of, could be more obviously, but only I only know of three who were contacted and or being considered for that seat. While I cannot claim that this timeline is 
exactly perfect. It's what I know uh, to be the case. So had heard that young Mr. Rookie of the Year, Renus VK, was on their radar, and I can't tell you about conversations he had with them, but I can tell you that I had heard that he was, if not the first, among the first to be considered for it. Obviously, he brings a, a good sponsorship package with him. That did not go anywhere. As we saw, Renus was confirmed, what, just prior to uh, the season finale at St. Petersburg, coming back to Ed Carpenter Racing. So uh, that answered that question. Have heard that Santino Ferrucci might have been the second driver to have serious conversations and that did not go uh, anywhere. Uh, for those of you who've heard about scenarios in the past, and once again, I can't—I wasn't sitting there in the conversation, so I can't tell you with a hundred percent assurity this is what took place. But you might have heard in the past, whether it's referring to my late dear friend Justin Wilson, my dear friend Mr. French Fry Sebastian Bourdais, uh, Mr. Coin, when he has you under contract and holds an option on you, is not keen on letting you go when you have something else potentially brewing or another team expresses interest in you. And I've heard that this is a scenario that Santino encountered, still being under contract, not being allowed to go somewhere else, sign something else. And so... I'm not saying that Alex was their third choice. I genuinely don't know where he sat on their wish list, but I do know that I've heard of two drivers, that being Renus and Santino, where being in the 10-car explorations were held, and Alex is the one who ended up getting that seat. So how is it going to be paid for? Don't fully understand have heard that there are some sponsor or sponsors possibly in the wings for this. Could it be a case of, this is maybe a small percentage, but could there also be a case of, hey, talent pool is dwindling quickly, and whether one driver's re-signing with their current team, another one can't get out of a deal with their current team, whatever it might be, if we wait until we have every single thing buttoned down financially first and then see who's available, there might not be a lot of people left on the good old merry-go-round to pick. So I think this that certainly stands out to me as a timely choice and a smart choice. And look, I would say Alex definitely has the potential to do big things there. I know I've read some comments from folks saying, oh, is this just going to be a Ed Jones 2.0 type deal? Is he going to buckle under the pressure and weight of going up against Scott Dixon? Is Pelot just Ed Jones 2.0? I don't think so. I really don't. I think Alex has a lot of talent, but also a lot of talent to develop specifically for IndyCar. Would also say that by the time Ed got to CGR, he had already been in Indy Lights for, what, couple years, champion, been to the majority of the tracks, spent a year in Dale's car learning all the tracks, and then moved to Ganassi with a pretty good database. 
Alex, never seen any of the tracks, never done oval racing. First year with coin, learning everything. I'd say the growth potential for what Alex could develop into at this team is certainly higher than what we might have expected from Ed. So love the signing. And yeah, this is going to be possibly the craziest, most unique Ganassi lineup ever. No, obviously earlier in the previous decade, they had a four car team where Charlie Kimball was involved. Graham Rahal was involved. That being alongside Scott Dixon and Dario Franchitti that evolved, obviously with Dario's retirement, Tony Kanon came in. I still think even though we consider that four car lineup back then, Scott Dixon, Alex Polo, Marcus Erickson, Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> it's a, uh, it is a non-traditional lineup for sure. We could say with Chip Ganassi racing where going into 2021 of those four cars they have going and the drivers in them, only one will have won an IndyCar race. So, uh, yeah, curious times, right? Curious, curious times. All right, well, there's a lot of other things going on in the background. Not ready to talk about all of them. I uh, believe another team has a driver pretty much lined up and ready to go. That could be announced sometime very soon. And, yeah, there's more stuff coming with the silly season. Time permitting, I will try and maybe get an update out next week. And uh, there you go. All right, let's kick off. Let's get a little bit of music bed going here. And uh, let's roll into our questions. Don't have a crazy, crazy amount for part two. So let's see how many we can rattle through. We're going to start with something fun, courtesy of Ryan Terpstra. Daniel Summersgill and Andrew Miller. Uh, Andrew says, what was the deal with the pace car? Apparently it was super slow all race, but the TV booth never noticed or kept quiet about it. And then it ran out of gas. Um, let's see. Uh, Daniel, glad to hear you're okay. Was it possible for any car to allow the pace car to run out of fuel? Um, if it wasn't out for that long, um, also says, would it not make sense to have a backup pace car as they do in F1, uh, or in the WC in the 24 hours of Le Mans? And Ryan says, how many points should Honda lose in the manufacturer's battle for running the pace car out of fuel? As I've been told by numerous people, and I'm sure you all have heard the same thing, uh, the vehicle was indeed filled up, I think, at the start of the day or whatever it was, and did so many laps through all the various everythings uh, prior to the race and then again in the race itself that it ran out of fuel. I, I may, again, I'm don't pretend to be an expert on pretty much anything, but knowing the distance of a lap at St. Petersburg and, uh, the amount of fuel that might go into the vehicle. Um, yeah, I would just say this and I love that. How many points should they lose question? Ryan, that's funny. Um, I think there might be a modification in procedure from fill it up the, in the morning, for the start of, you know, pace car rides and pacing any whatever other activities and series might be going on, I think there might be a, a new practice of, and now it is topped up to the brim prior to the race. Because we know, without a doubt, there is no way the car ran out of fuel off of a full tank by the yellows and pacing 
in the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg IndyCar race itself. So, yeah, one of those silly things, but it's also one of those perfect things for this year, as so many of you have mentioned. Like, of course the pace car ran out of fuel. Of course. Uh, let's see. Robbie Berggren. Hi, Marshall. Do you think that Takuma Sato set himself up for an ambush by Marco Andretti and Oliver Askew after his bowling ball performance? I have a theory that he has to have six or seven big brain fades per year, and it looks like he needed this race to make up for his fine mid-season form. Hey, now, come on, be nice. Uh, although I haven't always been nice, so I shouldn't uh, expect the same from you, Robbie. It, uh, as I wrote, it was a throwback performance for Takuma, and this is just a weird thing. This is a... It's one of these things that we know about. This is nothing new, nothing totally strange, but there are some drivers, I guess just like we see in pretty much any other sport, that have this little hair trigger thing that is self-defeating, and they struggle to rid themselves of it. Heck, in normal life, you could probably say we do this in general as human beings. You eat too much, you drink too much, you whatever too much, and it is going against what is in your utmost self-interest. As an athlete, as a performer in a pretty crazy sport, Takuma has had for a really, really long time this bizarre thing where you go, you've done this long enough. You know how the vehicle handles. You know time and space and distance and all the things you have to calculate and judge to do your job properly. You do the job properly. You win. I mean, right? He's been Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing's clear number one race winner for a couple of years now. Uh, no disrespect to Graham, just looking at what Takuma's been able to put up in terms of victories. And so it's just weird to have these highlights Robbie become a really significant part of Takuma's late career narrative. The bumbling Mr. Bean guy that runs into stuff all the time. That was all that was who he was. And then that seemed to go away for the most part. And then just weird to have it kind of sort of return out of nowhere. Um, it's just, again, it's a, a thing that we see at least at the top of sports you don't come across super often. These things tend to be rooted out of the player and or they tend to be uh, escorted out of their profession if they don't. And so this is just one of those weird things where you go, huh, what are my expectations for Takuma to have a super clean open to the year next year at St. Petersburg? I'm kind of 50-50, man. I don't know. It's either going to be pole position, super clean, and a podium, or he's going to have the Marcos and the Olivers of the paddock chasing him down and uh, throwing bowling balls in his direction. So just weird. Just weird. Uh, P.O. Pierre Oliver asks, has Dale Coin Racing celebrated um, this season's outcome? He says, because after having clumsily dumped Sebastian Bordet at the end of last year, they beautifully locked in 13th and 16th spots in the 2020 final standings. He says, Sebastian got them 7th and 11th 
in the previous two years. I had a similar thought, uh, Mr. Olivier, not Oliver, Pierre Olivier. I had a similar thought, and it maybe wasn't rooted in a lot of niceness, as I use the word rooted yet again. Yeah, so we read suggestions last year that because Sebastian didn't win slash didn't finish in the top 10, Dale Coin Racing's free Honda motor was no longer going to be made available to them. And the money no longer worked in terms of paying Sebastian in that construct. So they were going to get rid of him, even though he had a valid contract. And so, yeah. Um, Did they have a better year by getting rid of him? No. Was there an incentive in place that if you finish in the top 10 and or get a win, you can get a free motor back. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but it is hard to ignore that the desire most teams speak of, which is going from strength to strength. If you look at what Seb achieved in 2018 and 2019 for, uh, for Dale, you might struggle to look at 2020 as a place where uh, the team actually became a stronger participant in the paddock. I know, I think in the last episode, I mentioned that, you know, if not for a couple of bobbles and, and brain farts and whatever, pit, a lot of pit lane mistakes, Santino would certainly be higher up in the standings, possibly even higher than what Sebastian did last year by finishing 11th. But again, we could play that same game with Sebastian's 11th, right? Remove his crash at Indy, remove the, you know, if we start doing, playing that game and say, all right, take off Santino's, uh, bad result at mid Ohio this year, uh, remove Sebastian's Indy 500 bad event last year, which is double point, you know, hell, we could probably get Sebastian up to fifth in the championship if we wanted to, uh, playing that game. And who knows where we could get Santino top 10, I would say for sure, but that's not what happened. So, on the face and on the merit of what was achieved, Monsieur Olivier, uh, there's a lot of honesty in your question that I don't know if that honesty is something that uh, all involved uh, with what went down last year might really want to hear. Uh, let's see. Brian Burrell says, MP, hope you and the missus are okay. Thanks. We are. Says, uh, my question is about DJ Willie P's comments from the St. Petersburg race about a loss of downforce by using that overhead air scoop. Apparently, he did not run in practice, but chose to for the race and thought that might have contributed to his accident. Did Rossi have one as well? Looked like Pato did, while Joseph did not. How much loss of downforce are we talking about here? Um, yeah. Is there a an effect? Yes. Was this something that when I heard Will say this, I just said, come on, brother. <laughs> come on, man. This has absolutely nothing to do with your crash. You made a mistake. And, I mean, he and I, you know, spoke after, and he was like, it was just a mistake. I just screwed up. There's nothing else to blame. Because uh, I asked, hey, all the things that happened with uh, the the gearbox and the, the shifting issues and, and calling two gears at the same time, which is what caused the initial a big slowdown and problem. And then it happened a few times more. Did that throw you out of your rhythm? That's what it looked like. Those problems took you out of your groove. And while out of your groove, you got out of the groove and onto the marbles and crashed. 
He said, no, nothing to do with being in a groove, that thing impacting me in any way. I just screwed up. So I would just say, Brian, that, yeah, odd for Will to go straight there when talking about the crash and reasons for it. But it's something that we know Will is odd, and we love him for being odd. So, of course, he's going to point to something where you go, no, that's not it. But, uh, hey, it was a good try. Uh, Let's see. 11 Tommy Salami. Man, that sounds like uh, the name of a character in a type of movie that uh, you really shouldn't be watching. Um, 11 Tommy Salami. You say two questions regarding Jimmy Johnson. What does Jimmy need to accomplish next year for his rookie IndyCar season to be considered successful? And if he does relatively well, could it open the door for more drivers from, quote, non-traditional IndyCar backgrounds? It is my belief that IndyCar could benefit from more variety in its driver roster. Well, if we're talking variety, meaning very popular drivers from other series, I'm right behind you, Jimmy. I know that we have the announcement that both Haas Formula One drivers are out of work for next year. And both, that being Kevin Magnuson and uh, Romain Grosjean, have expressed interest in coming here to IndyCar. Romain, I unless he's bringing a wad, a wad of cash, I don't think he's going to find uh, what he's looking for because his reputation does travel, and it's not a good one. Kevin, on the other hand, I uh, would say he is certainly much more... Uh, highly regarded here in the States, and there could be something there. I've heard about something, not able to talk about it, but I've heard about something on the Kevin Magnuson front, and if that ever gets to a place where we should talk about it publicly, I look forward to it. Um, On the Jimmy Johnson front, what would he need to accomplish? If he is top in the top half of the field at the end of the season, If he's in the top 12 out of the anticipated, again, I can't tell you what the number will be, but top 12, top 13 uh, out of whatever that ends up being full-time, 24, 25, 26 cars, I would say that would be rather remarkable. Um, I don't expect that. I think that would be expecting way too much on the same subject of he hasn't been to a lot of these tracks. He certainly knows oval racing but he does not know these cars in oval racing and the group behavior in oval racing and so many other things. Um, if we just look very quickly here at how the 2020 season ended up, obviously Scott Dixon is the champion. So we know that Chip Ganassi racing has had the potential to do that. We assume they're going to be there thereabouts at the start of next year, right? We're not saying they're going to win the championship, but we don't expect them to be, you know, falling way down the running order. But then you look at his teammates. Uh, Again, we can play the, if you subtract the bad races game, but let's not, let's just take it on face value. Felix Rosenquist, highly rated. Won one race, finished 11th. His teammate, uh, not as highly rated, just because, again, he's still kind of proven himself to this paddock. Marcus Erickson was directly behind in 12th. So would Jimmy matching a Marcus Erickson who now has two years of IndyCar racing, would that be wickedly impressive? It would. That's why I think that's going to be a challenge. So if you're talking about what does he need to do to impress, top half of the field. 
what do I think is a more realistic thing? I mean, hell, Connor Daly, Connor Daly's a heck of a race car driver, right? Uh, he finished 17th in the standings. Renus VK, a heck of a driver as well. Finished 14th in the standings and was rookie of the year. There's nothing that we know of to suggest that next year's championship is going to be easier and have drivers of lower caliber. So if the rookie of the year finished 14th and he knew a lot of the tracks, obviously, from his road to Indy days and such, what do we realistically expect from a Jimmy Johnson who we know all the crazy experience, but he's brand new to this world. Um, if he's in that 16, 17, 18 spot as a rookie, I realize he's not doing the three ovals. So I'm just saying in general, if you just account where he might fit for the races that he does, if he's 15, 16, 17, 18th in the standings, I think that's about right. And I even think that's remarkable because that means there'll still be four five, six drivers, however many behind him beyond that. If he does more, does better. I mean, that's just going to, we're going to be hailing him as the gr- lost great IndyCar talent. Why did you fart away most of your career in NASCAR when you could be over here uh, after you just finished, you know, ninth on your IndyCar debut type thing? So huge hope for him. Um, I just know, man, it's going to be tough. Simon Roffey, looking at the driver's artery announced for next season. There are going to be a couple of very experienced rookies. Do Jimmy Johnson and Scott McLaughlin qualify for Rookie of the Year? Well, between the two of them, one has one start. The other one has zero. So, yes, they absolutely qualify for Rookie of the Year. Uh, M. Lonick from Reddit. What happened between Marcus Erickson and Felix Rosenquist in the final stages in St. Petersburg? Did Erickson push his teammate off track? I have no idea. I really do not. Uh, if it, I wasn't there, and I haven't spoken to either because I wasn't aware that I should have, so I don't know. I can tell you that Marcus Erickson sent a very nice get well note, so not surprising from him because he's a really good guy and also had a, a fun little text exchange with Mr. Fox Piss himself, Felix Rosenquist, uh, a couple days ago, so maybe I should ask. Uh, Charles Napier, let's see, you're asking some questions about a couple things that have been confirmed, and I apologize because I'm um, getting to this a little bit later in the week than in than desired. You're asking about who's going back where. Uh, yeah, so all the questions you've asked uh, have been sorted. You mentioned in this that was submitted on Monday. Nothing was announced with Rosenquist and Spam. True, uh, I do, I think I recall mentioning both in print and on the show last week that they would be waiting until after St. Pete to confirm, which they did. Uh, so we had Alex Pelot's confirmation, Erickson's confirmation returning, Rosenquist's confirmation at Air McLaren SP, and there's more coming. Uh, let's see. Our pal Jim Johnstone, the man who coined the phrase we love to use, spam, regarding, regarding, sure. regarding Air McLaren SP, any word on what's going on with Hinch? Was curious in your question about uh, where he might fit, and uh, also mentioned curious if he could have been a contender for the Open Ten car Ganassi, but also uh, 
uh, whether he might just be a better fit for the 26 car to stay in the one that he closed the season in almost completely strongly uh, in Zach Veach's former seat. Haven't had a chance to catch up with the mayor. Just continue to hear things are positive uh, on that front. And yeah, uh, boy, unless some significant money arrives from somewhere that I and someone that I don't know about, we're talking drivers. Yeah, I, I think the vast majority of the silly season that going into St. Petersburg was blown wide open. I think a lot of it's going to end has either been resolved or is going to be resolved pretty easily, pretty quickly. There's that question now, Dale coin racing. All right, well, you've got one empty seat. How many other, you know, could there be a empty second seat? There could, there absolutely could. Um, know that Dale didn't want to let Santino go to Ganassi, but, uh, is there a, uh, you know, an end to the option that he holds on him and, can the kid decide to go elsewhere once that expires? Don't know, but we'll have to see. So what are we talking about? One or two at uh, at Coin? At Foyt, we know that one is filled. We know the other isn't. As I wrote, uh, young and awesome, young Mr. Fittipaldi, uh, good old Pietro, certainly his name has been heavily associated with that number four car that Charlie Kimball drove this year. Heard Tony Kanon in the frame for being part of that as well heard of some other drivers uh, more brazilians being considered for that too uh let's see i'm just scrolling through the list here we just covered andretti uh carlin they said that they expect max to be back again next year so that would mean someone needs to do ovals and they've also said that they are having really good luck with folks wanting to be in the second car we'll see what that turns into if that manifests but there's some folks in the current paddock that could be looking for opportunities and could find them at Carlin if they have the funding, and who knows if there's some outside. Uh, where else? Carpenter, again, I don't know if they're just... The goal, as Ed has stated, is to convert Connor into a full-time seat of his own alongside Renus in a full-time seat. That's already done. And Ed moving to his own car for the Ovals. Would they try and fill Ed's car for the road and street courses as well, making them a full-time three-car team? I don't know. Uh, we got Shank, who's uh, going to be entering a second car for an undetermined number of races. Uh, what else? Yeah, so not a ton of things left open to solve, but fun nonetheless. So, yeah, do I think and hope we'll hear something positive about Hinch before too long? I do. Let's see. Uh, Hitoroki 2, you asked about Santino and uh, the Ganassi 10 car. Uh, Let's see. You also asked if Joseph Newgarden had one more race, would he have caught Dixon? I tell you, going into the event, I heard that a lot. Ah, boy, if we had one more race, two more races, if this was a doubleheader, I think Newgarden would have a really good shot at taking uh, taking the title off of Dixon. Can't argue at all that Joseph was on a tear, a real tear to close the season. I also think Sunday showed us just a little bit that they had found the speed at Ganassi that had been missing over the previous rounds. No, the qualifying wasn't super amazing for him, but in the race, 
Yeah. Dixie was quick like a bunny. And as Joseph marched forward, he did as well. It would suggest that Scott was driving within himself by the tiniest, tiniest margin, but that there, if he had to be fully unleashed, if he was in, all right, well, New Garden's attacking and we need to put you in similar full attack mode. Uh, at least for what I witnessed during the race on Sunday to close the season, I came away thinking the all the talk of, boy, if New Garden had one or two more races, this Dixon guy's toast. I didn't leave the race feeling that. I felt like now they had the speed and the ability to uh, to either match or I'm not sure how, how else to put it, but uh, I'm not sure it would have leaned that way. And, hey, that was a fun butt dial that we just got from uh, our pal Mike Hall. Let's get back to your questions. Uh, where do we go? Brian Cohn asking whether Oliver Askew would have been a really good fit for the 10 car Ganassi. I do. I really do. And I also really wish that Oliver's parents were filthy rich and or were CEOs of major businesses that felt that sponsoring their son to the tune of many, 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 many millions of dollars in IndyCar was the right direction to go. Unfortunately, not the case. Um, And having spoken with young Mr. Askew once or twice in the past week, um, I'm trying to keep him abreast of the things that I know about that are developing. Uh, He's chasing, you know, he's doing his best to chase something. Um, Can't tell you at this point in time, Brian, whether uh, for those who've become fans of the 2019 Indy Lights champion, whether they should be tuning in to IndyCar races, uh, IMSA races, or both or neither. Uh, But I do know that he is, and I've witnessed this, so it's not just a generalism. He is working his behind off and doing a lot of really smart things to try and improve his odds of continuing in IndyCar. Uh, Let's see. Lelou at Madigan2 from Twitter. Hey, Marshall. How do you rate the chance for a possible seat for Kevin Magnuson in IndyCar in 2021? Asking for a K-Mag fan. So, running through the list that I just did, yeah, uh, there aren't a ton of places for him to land. The thing that... The thing that we should track and the thing that could change this question from a question to a positive answer very quickly is what kind of partners sponsors does young Mr. Magnuson bring with him and why am I referring to everybody as young this episode I don't know um I don't know so it's my unpolished turd of a show I hope you enjoy it even the crappy parts which tends to run from the start to finish it's believed that Kevin has some backing to bring with him. He's obviously not a paying driver, but he does have some sponsors attached to him. And for what's available in IndyCar that I know of, there's nobody with a fully funded seat saying, come on in, son. If he has a couple of million from sponsors that might follow him from F1 to here, 
I would say the odds are pretty decent. Now, we're not talking a Penske. We're not talking a Ganassi. Uh, could there... I mean, again, we keep hearing the desire for Aaron McLaren SP to go to a third car, but is that something that could be? I mean, we know the McLaren background between Kevin, but different regime, different time. And we're talking the IndyCar side, which is owned by Sam Schmidt and Rick Peterson. I mean, what, you run through the coins, maybe that third uh, Aaron McLaren SP seat, if that does truly materialize. Uh, what else? You got a Foyt. You got a Carlin. Uh, there are some opportunities here. I would say that unless he's climbing into that number 26 Andretti Autosport entry, he's probably going to be playing from behind again, as he's done with Haas for many, many years now. But I'd love to see him get here. And I have to believe that if he does, with even if it's a midfield team, he's going to show stuff that's going to make the bigger teams stand up and pay attention when they start having some driver contracts run out at the end of 2021. Uh, Michael Brennan, what are the odds Connor Daly is back at Ed Carpenter Racing next season or in a full-time role elsewhere? Continued best wishes and prayers for uh, your wife and yourself. Oh, and you're saying thanks for all you do to keep us informed and entertained. Well, Michael, I think the entertainment is just my lameness, but hey, if you can't make people laugh at your shortcomings and stupidity, what can you make people laugh at? When I last spoke with old Mr. Daly, I don't know, what, a week ago, week and a half ago, he said, straight up, my focus is returning to Ed Carpenter Racing in a full-time capacity. And I know that I can go and knock on other doors, but this is really where I want to be. This is where I want to stay and continue. And I'm taking, I mean, I have no reason to doubt anything he said. I like that approach too. Seems like he's found a really good fit there. And I'll tell you, Michael, that's important. Even if he didn't have the most awesome season uh, in the history of forever, I can tell you that being in the right headspace, feeling like you've got the right team around you to build with, man, that's not something you readily just discard uh, to try and go somewhere else where even if it's a better team in terms of where they finished in the championship, you know, if you're not, if it's not there for you, sometimes it's hard to make it there for you. So he seems to be happy where he is, and that's why I love his uh, really vigilant effort to try and become a full-timer with ECR. Let's see. Uh, it makes sense. 72 from Reddit asks, uh, I would like to know Marshall's thoughts on the very safe schedule for 2021. Is this a safety net schedule that will, will improve in 2022 with possible Daytona road course, Charlotte Roval, or uh, going back to Nashville? I have no idea. Um Calling back to the question from the part one uh, last episode where we had a question about Roger Penske and the comments about Indy Lights, and uh, although the question wasn't about Roger's comments about Indy Lights, I assumed that they were. And I've since had someone forward me the article, and I read it and just said, holy crap. Uh this might not answer your question directly, but 
maybe it will in some degree. Wow. Do not publicly disagree or say anything negative or non-appreciative to the new owners of IndyCar when it comes to scheduling. And I would assume that extends to everything else. Um, wow. The, uh, the quotes that I read about the lack of appreciation being shown for all the negativity and, and, and displeasure expressed on social media about the Freedom 100 being taken off the Indy Light schedule. Oh, wow. That's, that's a subject for another day. Um, yeah. So everything in 2021 is awesome. The schedule is amazing. Could not be better. But if it were to get better, it, it would absolutely happen in 2022. And there will be more ovals. And there's going to be more everything. And I just, I thank there are thank yous in advance that I need to offer because I'm afraid that if we don't all do that and express just massive gratitude at all points in time, um, things are going to get taken off the calendar and things aren't going to be good. So that's obvious sarcasm, but yeah, I don't know, but I do know that if there's criticism lobbied, who knows here, social media in print, whatever, uh wow the uh the the fact that there even was a reaction to criticism on the indie light schedule <sighs> so i don't know i know that there have certainly been enough comments and conversations held uh with the series about the absolute dearth of ovals next year for them to understand that yes we need to work on this and to get it better or by 2022 uh charlotte roval i think it'd be amazing charlotte itself a double header there uh saturday night on the oval sunday afternoon on the road course sign us up that'd be amazing um i really can't tell you beyond that and uh i'm gonna tread lightly in asking questions about this and yeah there we go uh Corey matthews is there anything on the pretty sure level regarding new teams coming in for 2021 and or teams that ran a partial who will run more posted. Sorry, I'm struggling to speak and or whatnot. Posted a story on Friday with Jackie Heinricher, IMSA entrant. She's not expecting to continue in IMSA right away next year. So she's looking to do uh, some form of Indy 500 entry and possibly a few more wanting to partner with a team to do that. She's the only one that I really know of right now that could. I am unaware of Jackie having all the funding to do that. But as I mentioned in the article, Corey, she's been rather adept at going and signing some major corporate sponsors right out of the gate. I mean, brand new first season of doing anything. And she's got Caterpillar sponsoring her. Uh, Caterpillar pulled out the end of the year. Don't know why, Didn't no one really understood why, but uh, Mobile One and some others can, have come on board this year. She's been pretty good at that. And so I think the odds are, are decent of her coming in as a co-entrant 
Jackie, who I've known for a couple of years now, not too long, but um, when we spoke, uh, or what, midweek, whenever it was, uh, she'd mentioned just not knowing really where to start. And so connected her with uh, someone on high at IndyCar, connected her with a team um, where she happens to know uh, she's has a relationship, but just an informal having spoken with that person many times in the paddock, but didn't actually have the person's contact info, got those two linked. So hopefully she can start figuring out uh, how to make this happen and with whom. Uh, let's see, Caleb Whistler, you just want to get me in trouble here, despite the COVID era and restrictions. How would you assess the first year of the Penske era? I'd give it really super high marks. I truly would. What he has done and his organization has done, and this is not me just trying to avoid, you know, a drone strike. Um, the vast, I mean, it's in the 90 plus percentile of awesomeness that they have achieved. It really is. As I mentioned last week and however many times, the Indy Lights Freedom 100 thing is the one fart in church that they have committed. And it's just a fact, but that's about the only thing that jumps out as truly negative. The Everything else is an overwhelming wave of positivity. Has everything made the teams happy? No. Of course, cutting the Indy 500 purse and cutting leader circle and you know a lot of the financial adjustments that have been made in season for 2020, nobody wants those. But those are being done for a reason folks understand. But you look at all he has spent, all he has lost, rumors being $75-ish million lost in ticket sales. Um, yeah, I'm going to look back, as I think we might have said, and by we I mean me, I guess, uh, I don't know, five months ago, four or five, however long ago, so thankful Roger Penske was the person in charge of IndyCar and IMS during this pandemic, because I think if he was not, I don't know, I don't know how much of a series we would have left. So if you overlook one major fail and some other things that were just necessary adjustments to the times, I'd say, Caleb, uh, you're going to be reading a number of opinion, op-ed, whatever columns to close the season at a variety of outlets where they all absolutely, by and large, praise Roger, Bud Denker, Greg Penske, so on and so forth, Mark Miles, Jay Fry, but they certainly, first and foremost, uh, express gratitude for what Roger has done and all that he has saved as a result of uh, the coincidental timing of buying it, buying everything three months before pandemic kicked off. We're down to three questions. How fun. Uh, it's going to be a short-ish one today, y'all. Where are we at right now? Yeah, heck, 47-ish minutes, whatever it might be. All right, going to our pal Lawrence Cunningham. Hope is Hope all is well with you and Mrs. Pruitt. How will the 2020 IndyCar season be remembered? The, uh, the job IndyCar did in having any racing at all with the pandemic, uh, maybe the crowning of a six-time champion, battling with a two-time uh, for now champ, uh, another team to join the big three and Aaron McLaren SP, multiple doubleheader weekends, most surprising drivers, Pato, 
most disappointing, Marco? Yes to all the above for the most part. Uh, We had a normal season. It was totally abnormal while it was going on with all the condensed stuff events being canceled and double headers and you know again we all know it was by no means normal but we ended up having something that felt once we got to the end like just a standard high quality IndyCar year with a lot of unpredictable finishes and diverse stuff going on and the two best uh, at least uh, well one kind of for a long time but the other one certainly in recent years the two best going head-to-head for the title uh, Errol McLaren SP, as I've mentioned before, Lawrence, they are the, they're the big story of the year. Uh, nobody predicted that they didn't even predict, uh, that, uh, Pato surprise for sure, but surprise in terms of, holy cow, did we not appreciate how ready to go he was Marco. I don't know if I'd put him. I don't know if I would put him in the most disappointing category. I know his season was the most disappointing among all drivers. I would say hashtag me personally. I'd say my greatest disappointment for the season was actually Zach Veach. I don't know what happened once they left Texas, but Zach went from finishing fourth and feeling like and saying, hey, this is really a great start to this renewed year for me, contract year. Last year, I just hated this. I wasn't having fun, etc. I've totally changed my mindset. Um, I am just, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy, and that's going to be the thing that really gets me back on form that I showed as a rookie other than that one race to open the season, Lawrence, it never happened. Uh, after his fourth place at Texas, his best finish in the remaining 10 races, I think it was, was 14th. That was the highlight. Oh, I felt so bad for him. And that's just because I love the kid. Uh, he, he's a sweetheart. He's a fighter. He's a heck of an everything. And... That will be my biggest disappointment, that uh, Zach Veach's career in IndyCar came to an end prematurely since he was pulled out of the car with three races to go um, under some pretty shady uh, dealings. But I feel for him the most. Marco's coming back next year. Uh, he was on pole for the Indy 500. If he does nothing else in life, he can say he's on pole. he was on pole for Indy and won two races, and yeah, he should have 20 more wins, but compared to you and me and most who are listening, uh, even for what we would call a drastically terrible year for Marco, he still did something that all of us would pretty much volunteer to take five years off the end of our lives to be celebrated as any 500 pole winner. So Zach is the one where I go, man, I really wish things had gone better for him. So hopefully there would be a new contract, new everything, and he could stay around because I just thought he brought something pretty cool to the paddock. Uh, Plus, he's also just an excellent guy. Uh, Let's see. Two to go. 
It was an interesting one, Cody. Uh, I, I done put a little bit of thought into this. I don't know if you're going to like the answer, but there you go. Cody Oakwood says, what does MP do to get his IndyCar fixed now that the season is over? Obviously, you'll have some silly season articles to write and other stories here and there. But do you rewatch old races, play racing video games, read books on racing, all to get your fix over the next several months? Well, um, I don't know, this is a little tongue-in-cheek. There's more than stories here or there, Cody. It's usually one to three a day uh, for racer.com and racer magazine. Um, that's right. That is my job to generate content uh, for them so that y'all read it and then advertisers pay for it and then we all get paid. So uh, it'll be a little bit more than a couple silly season articles and a story here or there, my friend. Um as for getting my IndyCar fix, this is where the distinction of guy who earns a living doing this um, from those who don't is just the, the answer. So I don't go without a racing fix because every day I wake up immersed in racing. So I am on the phone with people conducting interviews. Could be IMSA, could be IndyCar, who knows, could be something else. Um, I am talking to a lot of people every day, most of it in a prof- professional capacity. Sometimes, though, just on a, on a personal capacity. Once we're due here, I'm long overdue to catch up with a uh, IndyCar engineer, for example. And it's not for a story. It's just two of us catching up because it's been a little while. We'll talk about all kinds of things and solve all the world's problems. But I kind of wake up every day cody maybe not for the weekends once all racing is over but uh it's always here and there's always a connectedness to it so i read old magazines all the time because i have a zillion of them and i don't really watch old videos Uh, i don't know why i don't it's not something it's something i I used to watch a lot. I have tons on videotape, which is funny. Uh, but I just, yeah, that hasn't really been a thing for me for a while. Obviously, Formula One's still going, so I'll catch some of that. IMSA's still going, so I'll catch some of that. But if we're talking specifically IndyCar, don't really rewatch old races. I don't play video games. Used to, a long time ago. Uh, books, I've got a stack that I'm staring at here. Uh, maybe one of them on IndyCar. Um But the answer is, brother, is I can understand that from a fan's perspective, when the IndyCar season stops, it is a long winter and it is, or fall and winter, and it is boring and there's not a lot going on and you can't wait for it to start again. I will safely acknowledge that for those of us who work in it, knowing that I used to work in the series, not for the series, but in the series for teams, doing a variety of things, we always look to the off season as, oh my gosh, I can finally catch a breath. So it's a bit of an opposite thing. And since what I do now is something where there is a daily need and it is never ending and fun, maybe to add, since there is no racing, the natural content doesn't really flow, right? Hey, so-and-so finished third and we're going to analyze that. And this person told the other one to F off and we're going to write about that. Like, those kinds of things really come to a crawl. So got to go out and find the stories, got to create the stories, meaning, Hey, I got an idea. I want to talk to this driver about why their season was good or bad or whomever a team owner. Here's a story. 
that I have written down to do, or a couple of them. And I don't know, hopefully they'll get done, but uh, they don't always. But just things that I've mentioned, or I'm sorry, things that I've listed in a spreadsheet uh, titled Off-Season Stories 2020. Uh, one of them is about prepping Jimmy Johnson. How is he going to prepare himself for next season? How is the team going to work with him? Right. So it's not just the we're going to go test a car to track, but what kind of overall knowledge uh, transfer are they going to try and do to make sure that he doesn't look like a true rookie when next year starts? Uh, hey, Team Penske, their sports car program is shutting down in, crap, 13 days, I think. Um, what are they going to do with all their crew? I know the answers to a lot of this, but it's still a story to reach out, provided they want to do it, uh, and say, hey, what are you doing with your Acura Team Penske two-car full crew? Where are they going? What are they doing? We know some are going to go to Scott McLaughlin's deal, but uh, that's way too many people. You can't take the entire Acura Team Penske team uh, program and drop all those people on a single Indy car, so what's going to happen with some of the others? Um Maybe a similar question, a series of questions with them as well on Scott McLaughlin uh, to what I'm going to be looking into with Jimmy Johnson. Uh, Shoot, I'm looking at a number of other things. Some of them I can't really talk about because they're not public knowledge yet, but uh, it's pretty busy time. And the last thing I'll mention here, Cody, is this is also the part of the year that I really enjoy. Although I do want to take a month off and do nothing because, again, there's no real break. Uh, I mean, heck, things actually get busier once the season ends, at least for the first week or two, uh, to cover all the stories and angles of what happened. But this is a fun part where there is no immediate, like, oh, here's a race you got to cover and you got to do the preview and you got to blah, 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 blah. Kind of the grist of the mill, normal stuff that everybody poops out. This is the fun part where you can say, hey, I want to reach out to this person and. Let's do something fun and creative about whatever. The creative angle, having that creative headspace without a championship taking place, uh, that occurs at this point in time. But there's also a bit of burnout. (laughs) And I'm just raising my hand like, uh, if I could sleep for a week and everything would just keep ticking over, uh, I would. But that's that thing where I'm an adult and have responsibilities. So thanks for the question, man. But yeah, this is... uh, Maybe this is a great question to turn around to you and others. What do you guys do uh, for your IndyCar fix once the season is over? Um, Doesn't stop on this end, but uh, would love to hear what y'all do for those who are truly just waiting for 2021 to get here and to get rolling. Uh, Final question, Chris Ward. One thing for you, MP. I just booked a triple threat, no disqualification, barroom brawl. Between Connor Daly, Sage Karam, and Will Power, who wins and how's victory achieved? Prayers for you and Mrs. Pruitt. Oh, gotta love it. Gotta love it. Um, boy, I see that there are a couple of questions that I forgot, but I think I might just end on this one, and I apologize. Uh, Bob Gravel, Gary Chin, Nick Dovniak, uh, Ryan Terpster again, Joel Cram, Curtis Cleveland. Um, if you want, fire those questions back in for next week's episodes and I'll get to them. Um, who wins in this nasty daily carom power thing? Uh, so we got a couple things to consider. Of the three, Will Power is, I think, 
the tallest and biggest, but I think Karam might, I don't know. It's between power and Karam there. So I think power can generate some good leverage with a punch, right? I think he, he's, he can get some distance and speed going, but he's a little light in the ass, right? I mean, whatever size he is, you know, he just doesn't strike you as someone who's going to strike you and knock you out. But who knows? That's a possibility. Karam, we know, like Connor, wrestling background. I think Sage might be maybe more advanced, if not a lot more advanced in that area. Um, but Sage has one significant liability that the other two don't. And he's a model. He's pretty, right? Woo, he's pretty. Um, is this a guy who is going to want to take too many knees, elbows, you name it, to the face, right? Because he said no disqualification, barroom brawl, getting hit over the head with a, a big glass, a, a beer stein of something. Uh, I'm not saying Sage isn't a fighter and isn't super competitive in wrestling where it's not really about trying to tear one another's face off. I think that works. In a real knockdown, drag out, triple threat fight, I think there's a point in time where he starts worrying about the moneymaker. And uh, I think he might tap out, beg out, whatever. I, I'm just going daily. There, There is, I've told you guys, he's stocky, burly, not heavy, fat, whatever, but like he, there's a, his core is much like a fire hydrant. Um, and he's super dog and determined. And I think he, there's just a scrappy fighter thing to him that I love. And power has that too, but uh, I think power starts thinking too much. I think he gets too much in his head daily. He just has that juggernaut type thing about him. And I think I might be referencing an old Marvel comic character too. Um, he's definitely juggernaut esque. And so I think for sure, Chris Connor daily, um, I don't even see this as close. One of them tries to protect their face and uh, runs away. You didn't say it was a cage match, so in theory they could run away. You said bar and brawl. Power? <sighs> he, I'm sure he does some wild stuff. He looks for the highest thing he could jump off of to try and crash land on both, or if Karam's gone by that point daily. But, yeah, uh, folks do not give Connor enough respect for his intelligence in his strategery, and I think he, I think he'd figure out willpower pretty, pretty quickly. I think he'd bowl him over, um, get him to the ground, and pummel the crap out of him. And granted, an unconscious willpower, a little bit hard to tell from a conscious willpower, but we love him just the same. So, all kidding aside, thanks for the question, Chris. Thanks for all the questions y'all sent in. <sighs> I'm gonna go and enjoy the final IMSA practice of the day at my home track Laguna Seca and other than that I look forward to speaking to you next week I have no idea who the guest is going to be if you got any ideas send me some suggestions we're into the off season now right it's up to us who do we want there's no like oh that guy's the winner so we're going to have him on it's just it's wide open whatever it is let me know and uh, we'll try and do it and give me a list I'll do my best to get them for you alright I am Marshall Pruitt this is your Week in IndyCar Listener Q&A brought to you by the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and Cooper 